I got a story for you. It's too easy, just too easy, and oftentimes too cheap, to buy something new for just about everyone, especially here in America. Why patch a hole? Just donate the worn-out wardrobe item and head to Old Navy for a replacement. Today's guest used to think that way, till a documentary changed her worldview of clothing. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. Yes, AndrePsyche.com is the cute, quaint corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merchandise you had no idea existed because I think he once spoke poorly of Google. We are talking about literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, poetry, podcasts, or any custom gift that your soul desires, you're going to find on AndrePsyche.com. Go to AndrePsyche.com and see what speaks to you, because each and every item has a story behind it. Nothing is just made. Everything is created on AndrePsyche.com. We're also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. Do us a favor. We need and appreciate your support. Take a moment right now and push the subscribe button, whether you're listening on Apple or Spotify. And if you're feeling exceptionally generous with your thumbs, rate and review the pod. How else can you support the Getting to Know You pod? Thanks for thinking of that. You can go to patreon.com and search getting the number two, no, the letter U, pod, all one word, and become a subscriber. You could also friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Finally, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world, like today's guest from London. We are downloaded in, I think it's up to 43 countries now and 47 states in America. So if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. And now, getting to know you. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. On today's show. We are getting to know Alicia, and Alicia is coming to us, another guest from London. Alicia, thank you so much for taking time and uh, letting us all get to know you. I appreciate it. Hello, everyone. Hello, Sean. Um, <laughs> it's good talking to you today. Thank you for having me. Um, no, no problem. <laughs> and it's funny, I was um, trying to figure out how to say your name because <laughs> I'm a school teacher and I'm super phonetic and I get very self-conscious about embarrassing people when you say their name. And you said something I didn't expect. You had said it's a popular Ukrainian name, but yet you're coming to me from London. And I'm kind of interested, I guess, right off the bat, <laughs> how'd you go from the Ukraine to London? Well, yeah, I was born and uh, my childhood until my 20s, yeah, I spent in Ukraine. Um, and then I was traveling around. I was working in the Middle East uh, for almost a decade. 
And then we moved to the UK uh, with my husband and uh, our family, little family, a few years ago. So this is how I ended up in, uh, in the UK. And we were moving around the UK as well a little bit because uh, my husband's work took us places. So, yeah, and before that, I was traveling a lot. I've been to US, a few places in Europe, uh, Malaysia, Nepal. So it's really good to see the world, really. <laughs> Man, that, yeah, that's a lot. It, um, <laughs> I always feel so sedentary when people um, that I get to know who come on the pod and travel so much. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think I've really spent any time east, no, west, west of the Mississippi. <laughs> so, like, right. I mean, I might be able to say that I've hung out in eight different states and I'm, I'm like, God, I got to do more. Got to do more. Although where I live is kind of fun. So I don't get mad at it. I live, I live near a beach. It's a pretty chill town, but, um, yeah, just got to get out more. Got to explore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. What was the Middle East like? Because with a little bit of my American bias, I would think that would not be a fun place to be a female in her early 20s. In a way, yes. Uh, But it was all right. It's a very safe place. And uh, with, I think now it's around 80% of expats living there from United States, UK, Europe, Australia, from all over the world, actually. And it's fun place to be. Uh, I've been living in Dubai. Oh, so, okay. yeah, it, it's a great place to try different experiences, different foods, and meet people from different countries and different cultures. That's amazing, actually. Uh, so it, it's 80, really great. Yeah, 80% of the people living there yeah. are immigrants from all around the world. Yeah, you, you cannot call them immigrants, expats, because oh. uh, they just get their... Um, residents working permit and that's it once the contract is over employment contract or whatever you know agreement they have with the employer they go back home oh yeah what's that is it fearful in any way having the employer allow have that kind of power to be to end a visa and send you back home yes i agree but (laughs) that's the law that's the law Right. Wow. That is, that is a lot of power for an employer. Yeah. Yeah. But people go there, you know, for something different and the weather is good. You have uh, beach uh, 350 days a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And when I, th- and I don't know much of Dubai, but when I think of it, aren't they, aren't they like building their own Island? Isn't that kind of what they're famous for? They're just yeah. great engineers. Yeah, they do a lot of stuff, uh, very unique. And like they want to be the first uh, to do something, a lot of things. So, you know, that that's kind of marketing. That's the way to attract people, you know. Yeah. And do they pay super well or it, do you go there for more like a job experience resume builder with the hope of um, leaving? I would say the... Salaries are good there, but the lifestyle is also, you know, it's uh, costly, I would say. Yeah, Uh, there are a lot of temptations. Uh, 
there are a lot of shopping centers. Uh, they have the biggest in the world shopping center, you know. There are shopping centers, bars, restaurants, uh, nightclubs, and of course, it's something that you want to try and something that you want to do. There are amazing entertainment parks, Legoland, and, you know. Uh, of course, you, you're living there and you want to try all the stuff. And that's how you basically leave all your salary there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's ingenious on their part. They just keep the economy yeah. closed that, that way. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. man, that's so, um, I don't know, I've heard of it, but, and I, but I didn't think of it as that um, commercial, to be honest with you. It is, yeah. Wow. Uh, and you know it's uh, you know when when we came to the UK I thought the consumerism here is uh, so bad but then uh, you made me think about what was happening in Dubai and shopping and consumerism there is even worse um, yeah I was just talking to someone yesterday about sustainability and how much clothes we throw away and how much we spend for clothes and uh, how uh, much we throw away every year as a country. And, you know, I'm even scared to think what it's like in the Middle East because people don't really think a lot about sustainability and the environment for some reason. So, yeah. Now that's, um, and I don't, of know, yeah. I don't know if they have these, um, Anywhere else, actually, other than Southern Delaware, <laughs> but you can tell me. So, like in our, um, when we go for whatever a food, uh, a grocery store, mm -hmm. they have these drop boxes, almost like huge mailboxes. So think of like yeah. a garbage bin, but it's completely sealed. It's a cube, and then um, basically you can throw or put in there your old clothes, yeah, um, like garbage bags full, like huge yeah. lawn type garbage bags full. And I drive by them. And the garbage, not the garbage bag, the clothes bags are like stacked up, not only in it, but around it. Yeah. And it, where have you seen it? Sorry, where have you seen it? In, well, I live in lower Delaware. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, uh, there's one like every, I, I don't know who's putting these up or who's the actual like company in charge, but mm -hmm. I'm just amazed. So I'm amazed at two things. One, that people have that many clothes to donate and get rid of. And yeah. then the second thing is that they're actually conscientious enough to try to reuse them in a way with the sustainability and not just ditch them, not just throw them away, you know, that they seem to care enough about uh, the people who need clothes to try to yeah. reuse them. You know, I, it's kind of nice, but the same way, I'm like, why do we have so much clothing? <laughs> we have the same situation here in the UK, by the way. And yeah, good you mentioned. And uh, I'm not sure what you have, but in the UK, it's only 30%, just think about it, only 30% of all collected clothing and donated, like those bins that you're talking about, only 30% is being sold through Goodwill, thrift stores, charity shops, and the rest is being exported to be sold in second-hand markets in Africa or Eastern Europe. And oh. recently people are complaining and they're not accepting anything from the UK because the quality of clothing is low. And it's all, you know, about fast fashion where you get cheap clothes and it's not a good quality. And you buy something, you wear it once and you take a picture for Instagram and then you throw it away. 
So unfortunately, oh this cloth cannot also be recycled, uh, like on a factory, uh, because of the way it's made and because of the quality. Only 1% of all clothing can be recycled. It's really, really sad. And unfortunately, yeah, I wish people were a bit more conscious and, you know, a bit of mending, a bit of upcycling can extend the lifespan of a garment even by up to one year Man. and reduce its carbon footprint as well. And so I should have introduced you or done a better job introducing introducing you, Alicia. Um, can you, I, I know why you know these facts, but maybe people listening will not know why you know these okay. facts. <laughs> Because I'm amazed. I, I thought you were going to talk about it, and I'm amazed at the numbers you just gave me. So just tell us a little bit about why you know this. <laughs> yeah, it all started when we moved to the UK. And uh, I noticed that we have so many charity shops here, and uh, I haven't seen uh, the same situation anywhere when when, when I traveled around Europe. And uh, and I started doing my research and I started asking questions what's happening. And I wasn't really, uh, you know, happy about the results that I've got about the research. And I watched a few documentaries and, uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, as I mentioned, 30% of all donated stuff is being sold in the UK. And there was another uh, program, Great British Sewing Bee, it's for people who like sewing. Uh, we finished the episodes recently, uh, next season, and it was mentioned in this program that at the moment we have enough clothing on the planet for the next six generations. <laughs> Just think about it. If we look after it properly, next six generations, we have, you know, all sorted. We don't need to do anything. But uh, because of the way people treat clothing, we just dispose of it. And my modest calculations were maybe 10, 20 years, you know, because I work with clothing a lot. I upcycle clothes and I sell it uh, on Etsy. And I teach people sewing, mending, upcycling as well. And this is how I decided, you know, to change my life and uh, transfer myself from corporate career and being an employee to being an upcycling teacher. So that's one of my turning points when we moved to the UK. So I decided I want to do that because my creativity and my creative voice was so loud. And I just, you know, uh, I had to listen to it, basically. <laughs> I'm curious, why, like, how did you gravitate towards clothing? Why not something, whatever, like car emissions or recycling bottles? Why was it clothing that caught your attention? A lot of people... Uh, when they start working on uh, their more sustainable way of living, they do a lot of things in the kitchen, they do a lot of things in the bathroom, but most cases they miss and overlook what's happening in their wardrobes. Mm. And they think that they don't need to pay attention what's there. And unfortunately, yeah, they don't realize that we have a lot of plastic in our clothing. And as an example, there was a test done. Uh, I was watching one of the of the documentaries and uh, presenter, he was showing how woolen jumper burns and how acrylic jumper burns. Mm. So God forbid, in case you have some 
accident, uh, acrylic jumper will burn straight away, like, you know, uh, because it's plastic, it's kind of explosive. And woolen jumper will protect you, and it's warm and it's durable and it's uh, much better for the environment, you know. And, you know, the way it looks, basically, woolen jumper, instead of buying uh, 10 pieces of cheap clothing for 100 bucks, just buy two or one and treat it as an investment because it will look good, it will look expensive, it will look uh, presentable, you know. Uh, you can see when it's cheap item or when it's something more expensive, you know. It's just, I think it's something to do res with respect maybe, uh, respecting clothing that we wear, respecting those people who work on the factories and make those items Man, and that's... respecting ourselves as well. I'm so, I'm sorry to cut you off, and for people listening, I think I say this every pod. We don't have any um, visual, so I'll, a lot of times I interject. So I don't mean to cut you off, Alicia, but that's something um, that I just realized as you said it, and it I don't know it it impacts you when you do think of the people in the factories having to yeah. produce these clothes. And I haven't researched it extensively, watched too many documentaries, but I am aware of the terrible conditions in these third world countries, or even in like the like industrialized countries where mm -hmm. employees get exploited in order to produce quotas that are pretty unmanageable, man. And yeah. just so that your textiles and your shirts can be so cheap. That's, I hadn't, um, I hadn't thought about the responsibility to those workers in that way, where if you did purchase a higher quality of clothing, you, you would get a higher quality of employee producing it. You would think because you would need to be more skilled. If you're more skilled, you're worth more and you're more valuable as a worker and you have more options where you're not just a factory worker making a big, and I know nothing about sewing either, <laughs> making a basic seam or a <laughs> yeah. hem, you know, I, that's how I picture it. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's true. And doing some research about the company and who they work with and uh, you know it also it's also helpful because every time you buy something cheap from an ethical company we cast our vote for this system towards yeah. the system if you know what i mean no yeah definitely and yeah. that's you know that that was big with coffee so i and mm -hmm. again i don't god i i love talking to people because it makes me feel like i'm an expert and then when I start talking about the topics, I'm like, dude, you might have remembered a headline or two, but you don't know anything about the topic. <laughs> but I remember going through, there was this thing with coffee when I was younger about um, the the make sure, what was the label? Didn't they label, see, I don't know anything. What did they label the car? Or if you know, they labeled coffee to make sure it was coming from like a, um, wasn't sustainable farm. Yeah, it was responsibly sourced responsibly or something sourced. like this. Yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. I remember. Yes, yeah. responsibly sourced. And that was like a really big deal to get, like I remember my my mother was thoughtful about purchasing coffee because it had that little sticker on the brand. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you know, mm -hmm. people are being treated wrong, the environment's being treated wrong, but this tells me that it's okay. I don't is there anything like that for clothing? Cuz I don't know, like I don't even know if like whatever Nike I feel like Nike, from what I've heard about the shoes and some of the stuff, like they wouldn't be getting that kind of endorsement of a responsible I sourcing. I think, yeah, I think they were mentioned in some of the recent uh, uh, 
wrongdoings, if I can call it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. injustices. Uh, usually the companies, that's how they market themselves, that they are ethically responsible and sustainable. And uh, uh, some companies even uh, provide labels on their clothing. And you can go online and enter the barcode or some number code online, and you will see... Um, information about the person who made this item. Oh, no way. Uh, how the cotton was grown and how it was shipped, something like that. So some companies even provide that. Gotcha. Yeah, that would almost be so easy nowadays with the smartphone. It'd be like a QR yeah. scanner or whatever. You could just, whoop. Although that's, yeah, that's true. no, but, and that's just, and that, it's so funny because again, it goes with my capitalistic ways of I want it. I want it to be good, but I want it to be as cheap as possible. And then I'm yeah. like, if they do all that, there's a cost to it, right? They have to mm -hmm. have the technological infrastructure to do it. They have to have someone taking the time to compile it, someone taking the photos to make sure it looks nice. And I'm like, you know yeah. what? It's just going to make my t-shirt cost five bucks more. And I'd rather get another Starbucks coffee or Dunkin' Donuts. So keep my shirt cheap and I'll keep my eyes closed. And I don't want to know anything about it. <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, as much as we love all those cheap things, yeah, it's um, just enormous cost to the environment. Yeah. You know, if we get things cheap, we don't respect it. We don't treat it in the way as it's something valuable, unfortunately. So, uh, uh, of course, there are people who cannot afford buying something expensive, and I understand that. But there are people who just buy 10, times, 10 items instead of buying two or one of something good and uh, sustainable. They just go with cheap stuff and they throw it away. And the cost of the environment really, really, it's just enormous. It ends up um, in those poor countries because we export our waste and we think that uh, it's going to be dealt with. But no, it doesn't disappear if uh, if we throw things away, there is no thing as, such thing as away. It's still there. <laughs> yeah. If we throw it away, yeah, it doesn't disappear really. <clears throat> not not yet. I think Elon Musk might help us. At mm -hmm. one point, he's going to figure out a way for us to launch garbage just into outer space directly to the sun. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> oh, that's our only hope. <laughs> Dude, I had no idea. When you were saying 30% of donated clothing gets yeah. re gets resold. So like if I yeah. put in a Ralph Lauren polo t-shirt that has a stain on it, mm -hmm. that like somewhere that's getting sorted and then exported mm -hmm. and yeah. then actually yeah. sold in African and Eastern European countries. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I am from Ukraine and I see a lot of, uh, pre-loved clothing shops there and uh, they don't uh, allow developing of our own textile uh, industry mm -hmm. because people will go and buy uh, pre-loved clothing that was brought from UK and you the likes uh, you know and uh, we don't have our own textile industry developing because of that unfortunately so that's another side of this sad story yeah man and just think and, of the people who don't get to be creative yeah because they're not whatever a fashion designer or just the skill like i think of my daughter and she loves like right now she's going through her design a design phase i shouldn't say her design phase and she might stick with it 
but like she's into fashion and like trying to make clothes for her own Barbie. And what if she wanted to like grow up and do that, but she's in the Ukraine. It's like, you know what? We don't really buy original clothing, but what you can become is someone who picks through other people's throwaway cheap clothing and mm-hmm. set it up on racks and try to basically be like a middleman. Like that doesn't mm-hmm. sound appealing. It sounds way more appealing to figure out how to make our own textiles and how to make our own designs and how to create our own yeah. style. Yeah, that's true. And even remaking clothes is good. Just giving a second chance to something that was discarded. Uh, you know, I patched uh, recently, well, recently, in the past probably six months, nine months, I patched around 10 pairs of trousers for my sons. I have two boys, three and five years old. Oh, yeah, I bet you they're going through pants like crazy. Their knees, yeah, their (laughs) knees get destroyed. Right. Uh, The first thing that goes is just their knees. And for me, it's protection. I want their knees to be protected so that next time when they fall over, we don't have bloody knees, but their knees are protected. So I make sure I patch them. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point. Less laundry. (laughs) It's not only saving uh, a few bucks uh, instead of buying new pair of trousers, but also protecting their their knees. (laughs) Right. And yeah, dude, that's amazing for you because someone with your skill, having the hand-me-down be able to maintain the quality of the hand-me-down yeah. is, has got to be such a cost saver. That's true. Yeah. We spend in the UK around 500 up to 1000 pounds per year for clothing. And uh, huh. I don't buy new clothing. Uh, it's been a few years. I upcycle. I buy pre-loved and vintage, and I love it. There are really treasures sometimes, you know, and uh, and I also buy pre-loved for for my sons because they kill clothes, they play, they do muddy play, and yeah. you know all this stuff. And I'm not gonna put something designer made on them and then look how it's gonna be destroyed. <laughs> no yeah, way. <laughs> like and man, I um I noticed it with my daughter at one time, and I forget what were we doing. I'm I'm not a huge sneaker guy, but I do have like one or two pairs of sneakers that I like try to keep clean, like basketball mm-hmm. shoes. They have a light color on them. And we pulled over to the side of the road and she was jumping at something. And I was like hesitant to jump because I was like, oh man, I want to get my shoes dirty, right? Like just, oh. just like, you know. So then I might have been three months later, she gets a new pair of Vans. And she's like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I see her walking all weird. And she's like, I want to get my shoes dirty. And I'm like, man, you're 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 nine. Right. I think she was nine at the time. You're nine and you're worried about your shoes being, you shouldn't worry about that. But then I realized I'm the one that put that in her head because I didn't want to go through the effort of cleaning these shoes, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, what I thought of that with your sons is it's awesome that you found a way to have them embrace being active in clothing. And you're not worried about, I'm um, being responsible. I'm getting solid clothes that are just going to get tore up. Cause honestly, that's a waste of money. Mm, it's almost yeah, just as true. irresponsible. So it's it's nice that you can find this way to have them look good and um, allow them to be active. I guess is yeah, what I'm looking for. Yeah, and feel for. comfortable as well, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And it's not that difficult to patch knees on trousers, really. It's something that anyone can learn. Uh, using just some fabric pieces, old T-shirt pieces, whatever. I'm sure we, all of us, we have some... Uh, old clothing in the house that can be used for patches and that's Mm -hmm. it yeah 
kids will be happy and they got used to it they see me sewing they see me mending up cycling and they ask me what i'm doing mommy and they ask me oh mommy that's a nice dress did you make it when i wear something right. nice you know so they got used to it and my five-year-old already he tried to do some hand sewing uh so yeah i'm gonna teach him later on <laughs> that's Definitely. i i wonder how many people i can't sew i mean i guess i can put needle i can put thread into a needle and i can put the needle into fabric but i don't yeah. call that sewing like I, there's no technique to it i don't know if i'm doing it right it looks horrible how many people do you think if you had to generalize or just guess what percentage of people actually know how to refurbish some clothing and sew? Uh, not a lot. Uh, uh, like, I think my mom's generation here in the UK, people who are in their 50s, 60s, uh, most of them know how to sew because this was part of school curriculum. Oh, okay. Home economics here in the UK. Yeah, I think 50s, 60s, that age. But uh, younger than that, no, they, most of them, they don't know how to do that. And yeah, unfortunately, that's how people are pushed to buy cheaper clothing that they can just throw away. Yeah, right. And that's what I'm realizing. Like, and and, yeah. and it's fun. Again, I love meeting and talking to different people because I had not thought about this topic at all. But now I'm realizing like, why, why have I not? even learned or like taking the time to invest in another skill set for myself. If nothing else, I think most people feel good when they learn how to do something. They feel confident, right? You feel special. Oh, yes. And it, it, Definitely. Would, it would be empowering to know how to sew and have those kind of, um, have those skills. And it's like, why don't I? Maybe because I'm watching too much Netflix streaming <laughs> yeah. when I should be streaming oh, you a can video. do sewing while you're watching something and right. yeah I must tell you that uh, there is an amazing uh, mental wellness benefit when you start uh, learning how to sew and mend it's absolutely unbelievable because I will explain uh, it will make you feel proud when you complete your projects uh, it will make you more confident because it's a skill that not everyone can do. Then uh, when people start giving you compliments and say, oh, wow, uh, you know, definitely that's something good and will, it will make you feel better. And all my clothes that I upcycle, I make it fun, I make it bright, I make it joyful. Right. And joy is something that we really, really need right now in our lives. Yeah. It's more joy. And if you wear joyful clothes, if you do something that uh, brings you joy, having your hobby sewing, that's definitely will improve your mental wellness and your general well-being. And uh, it, it's really good for self-confidence too. Until you would be like me and you think you did a great job on the t-shirt. And then when you walk out and the wind blows... And your seams just go, and now all of a sudden your torso is completely naked. <laughs> no, that, that no, would be my fear. Like that. <laughs> that would be my fear that my pair of cargo shorts all of a sudden <laughs> a seam busts, and then I have to get in my low processed um, or I guess cheap fabric uh, old navy boxers, and I'd have to run away. That would be my fear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not really like that, but uh, it just yeah, some practice and right. some 
patience, of course, and you will do a great job. I remember when I tried to start a class, I was teaching people face to face. I had groups uh, where I was teaching sewing and before the lockdown. And I wanted to start men only sewing class called Guys and Stitches. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. I I put a nice post with blue uh, colors, you know, and I was hinting that it's men only group, and you know, I ended up not uh, finding men to join my sewing sewing club. Probably I should start and push for it again because it's really I, I know a few men uh, who are sewing and they're re really good sewers, and we have fashion designers, a lot of men, right, among them. So why not? You need, why you, you you know how to get them instead of guys in stitches, single uh, singles only stitching, uh, and then all the <laughs> yeah, and then and then they're hopeful, you know. <laughs> yeah, I should I should rethink my. <laughs> it's all about the marketing, right? I tell you, <laughs> but no, that's a good idea because. Um, I don't know if you've seen the show. So have you seen um, Project Runway or heard about it? Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, someone mentioned it to me uh, a few months ago. And yeah, they told me, why don't you go there? Yeah, but oh. I, I never had a chance to check the details. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we came across it and um, it's on Hulu. So watching Hulu, my daughter, it's an older show, I think. The episodes we're seeing are like 2010, 2011, mm -hmm. but it's, it's enthralling to see them create something out of nothing and to wow. see the, them going through the process of mm -hmm. tangible or making tangible their visualization and even how they change it, you know, it, and it does seem like a fun little hobby. If you're an artistic yeah. person, if you're a creative person. We all have creativity and we see colors every day. We see shapes every day and we learn something new uh, every day. And then when it comes to creating something, it's just being manifested in our own way. Uh, right. For example, if we have 10 people having the same fabrics and having the same colors and we will all create different things and we will have different visions, ideas in our heads. That's how creativity works. Yeah. Right. You know what else I just realized too, if more people did this, who, and maybe it's just the kid in me, but I think it happens with adults too. Who wants to be the person that walks into a room wearing the exact same outfit of someone already in there? Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's it, yeah. like, usually that's one of the more awkward things that you go through and it's like twin day. Oh, ha, ha, ha. and then you're oh, like, God, God <laughs> right. God. And then if you're a kid, you get teased at some point for it and messed with but if you're adding your own vibes, flair to things, if you're refurbishing and making older clothes look newer by giving them a, a facelift, I guess for lack of a better word, like you're never going to have that problem. You're always yeah. going to be completely original because you're going to be the one that created your outfit or added something to an outfit. Yeah, exactly. That's our self-expression, not someone else's. Yeah, it's in this case, yeah. I wonder how much comes down to time, how much comes down to people just wanting to not be seen in the same outfit twice. Like if they look great in an outfit, they maybe they just don't want to be the person that, oh, 
she's wearing that black dress again, right? Or, oh, mm-hmm. he's in that polar or whatever snazzy thing, romper for a guy. I know there was a t- I was seeing some pictures of like the rompers, like shorts for men. And I was so glad that thing didn't catch on. Yeah. I was like, I hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> if yeah, you, that's true. Yeah. Right. And you wonder what, what are some of the societal causes for people who are kind of afraid to stick with almost like what you like what you were saying, that investment of, Hey man, I got a quality outfit or two. I'm going to rock it. And I'm going to be okay with that. Instead of, I need 10 things that I wear once. I want one thing I'm going to wear 10 times. It's something to do with the, uh, we are worried too much about what others think. Right. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, social opinion, peers, uh, pressure, or whatever you call it. Yeah, at school it was peers pressure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's something to do with what people uh, will think, but actually I don't care and I'm so happy about it because it's a heavy load of expectations that you just, you drop it and that's it. and you live your life (laughs) and in most cases you know um uh, i was just telling someone recently in most cases people just don't remember what christmas jumper you were wearing last year so use it again this year (laughs) don't buy another one because people just don't remember actually uh, we are so busy preparing things cooking things and presents and then uh whatever just people just don't remember because they're too concerned with their own stuff rather than remembering what was your Christmas jump like last year. So don't bother about it. Just have fun. <laughs> and if you're really concerned about wearing something twice, upcycle it, take men's tie, cut it into pieces, add patches, add a new collar, add new pocket, and that's it. It looks different now. Right? Like a little lining. And you know, I didn't think of that either. I wonder how much of the cheap stuff, I'm now thinking about my own closet and how much of that stupid seasonal cheap stuff I got, like the Halloween t-shirt where you're like, all right, man, I'm just going to grab this thing. For me, it would be like Old Navy because Old Navy's Mm. got great sales, super cheap clothes. And you're like, "Eh, they last for a little bit. And it's like, cool, I can get a wear or two out of this. And then if I never wear it again, whatever, it was five bucks. But man, like Valentine's Day, um, St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> you're, you're, oh, yeah. you're just 4th of July, right? You just can think of all these holidays where like, oh, on this particular day, I want to wear this particular thing, but then you never mm-hmm. really wear it again. Yeah. And you can even forget you have it. And then that's how that builds up and that trash um, compiles. And the thing is that uh, we are uh, convinced that we need this thing uh that we need to buy this thing uh to be happy this is how um fashion ads are created they are very carefully designed and uh, they encourage us to do impulsive buying which is also wrong so yeah it's all uh designed all created to make us believe that if we buy this uh we will be happy and then it doesn't happen. We don't become happy because happiness is not something that comes from clothes, new clothes. And then we buy something again and then we buy something again uh, with the hope that it will make us happy. We will look good. And, you know, it's how they impact our thinking. But it doesn't happen. So, uh, yeah, it just uh, getting out of this habit. It's so liberating, actually. 
Yeah, right. And again, it, it just goes to, uh, um, I like that word liberating, because I think people are, they were made <laughs> to be, to feel empowered, right? To be producers, not consumers. And mm-hmm. um, if people took more time to just have more skills, it would, um, it would, it would liberate them from dependency. And then I would even think, I, I know you got to spend money, right? On whatever tools, materials, mm. thread. So I don't know, do you think you save a ton of money doing this or do you think it's about break even? You save a lot. Really? You save a lot, yes. Because I'm thinking uh, like a sewing machine alone is seven dress shirts and two pairs of nice chinos for me. Oh, trust me, you don't need a sewing machine to uh, mend, to upcycle clothes, because you can do so many different stitches and so many different techniques uh, with hand sewing. Uh, It's just amazing. And once you start doing it, you will get more and more ideas and you will uh, find your own way how to do things. And definitely sewing machine is not a must. Uh, I remember my husband donated me a pair of jeans uh, a few years ago, and I made a handbag from this pair of jeans, and it was 100% hand sewing, and I had so much time uh, enjoying and stress-free me time, relaxing time while I was working on this bag, and the result is amazing. It's absolutely beautiful, all those stitches. I could stitch with the knitting yarn, it's very thick. Uh, it was thick wool, uh-huh. and you just need a special, a special needle for it, and that's it. And it's something that you cannot do with a sewing machine. It's very bright, and people notice it, and people love it. And every time when I go away, uh, you know, if we travel or I go out on my own, I make sure I get dressed in the way that people notice my clothes and they talk to me about it. And for me, this is a way to raise awareness right. uh, about what's happening in charity shops and clothes that they donate, you know, all those uh, environmental issues. So it's just, it's another way for me to raise awareness too. No, it, it's not expensive. Needles and threads and you can use your old clothes for patching. And for example, if you have a pair of jeans and you think, oh, they are worn out, just patch them, mend them, and they will look really cool because people buy jeans with holes and they pay basically for holes. <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing. My daughter actually just did that. She, um, yeah. <laughs> you, you got to get the, whatever the frills, you know, where it's like, um, it looks worn, but the, it, it, it did look cool, but I'm thinking, man, if we knew how to tie dye, so the, um, where mm-hmm. this, where the fabric looks worn, but not all the way cut fringe yeah. almost, it had like um almost like a rainbow, I think it's an ombre, she was telling me, effect where yeah. it's like yeah. fades yeah. through. And in my head, I'm like, okay, neat. That was whatever, $25 for that. But like mm-hmm. you're you could have got a jean, I guess, figured out maybe got a sander or something <laughs> to like yes. war yes, off. Yes, that's how they're done. Yeah, yeah, sandpaper, right? And you just wear it out. And then you could drop food coloring on that thing. You could mm-hmm. try to create and you you're just empowered and you're to me, the thing that I would like to see is I've, I've really put a high value on the learning and the mental engagement, the problem solving yeah. that you have to go yeah. through when you're creating versus what, what problem? Okay. What's my budget? How much money do I have? How much more do I need to work in order to get? 
versus mm-hmm. what do I have around that I can use to um exactly, to solve yeah. this? Like it just it's a different ment- mentality of person. Yeah. Okay, that that gives me a little bit of hope. Oh yeah, and and there will be some cash that you save, and then you can spend it on something that really matters. Yeah, right. Like going out somewhere, having an experience, not a product. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's great one. When you're hand sewing, are you like a music listener? Do you have like a show? Are you just like sitting around chatting? Are you thinking about stuff? What What are you doing as when you sew, or is it just sewing and you're in a quiet room? Everything. Uh, sometimes I do some sewing and my kids are playing in front of me. Sometimes I sew and I watch something. And sometimes I sew even 15 minutes before I go to bed. And it's really oh. the best ever sleeping pill you can imagine. If Ooh. you do some sewing 10, 15 minutes before you go to bed without watching anything, just in peace and quiet, right. that's uh, relaxing very relaxing it will give you solid sleep uh uninterrupted so it's really really great as relaxing activity before sleep so whatever you feel like doing yeah if you want to watch something watch something but i would prefer to focus on sewing really so your mind relaxes and you don't do this multitasking watching something and sewing you are loading yourself even more. So I yeah. would prefer to sew in peace and quiet. Yeah, that's what outside, I was... Outside in nature. <laughs> yeah, right. That'd be a, that'd be another thing, man. Just sitting around. And um, it's so rare for people to be doing one thing, right? Mm-hmm. To really yeah. just be focused in, in that one thing. And if you're sewing and watching a TV show, I almost think of that more like knitting, where it's just this repeated process um so i've heard again i ne- I never do it but like if you're making a scarf or whatever and it's the what's it crochet it's not crocheting the two needles that like go over each other and it's just this repeated process yeah knitting knitting okay. is different yeah yeah, bit, yeah. right because it's almost like mind. is it insulting to say mindless but it's just a repetitive pattern so you can kind of zone out and your muscles you just rely on muscle memory where like what you're talking about, you want to be in some sort of flow state or creativity state. So you're looking at it, you're thinking about it, you're engaging with the thing yeah. you're making. Definitely, I agree. That's a bit different. Yeah, you're planning your project, how it will go, and you imagine, you think how it will look like. Yeah, it's a bit different from knitting right. and crocheting. Yeah. Man, so do you worry at all? And this might be a silly question about like. <laughs> With all this hand stowing, like arthritis, do you take special pills? <laughs> do you do finger no, exercises in no. some way? Or am I just ignorant to no, no, think no. that? I'm not doing it 24 per 7. I have <laughs> the kids and uh, to look for and they need to eat sometimes. <laughs> so I cannot sew nonstop every day <laughs> because they, they get hungry. <laughs> gotcha. No, yeah, that's something I guess I always thought of snow sewing. I almost said snowing. Sewing is just like that, um, because you're grabbing almost like if you typed for a majority of the time, like you would develop whatever carpal tunnel. But again, it, all that does is expose my ignorance. No, it's just some. It's like any other activity. You do something for an, half an hour, for an hour. You have a break, yeah, and then you do something again. So yeah, it, it, that's fine. Arthritis is not a threat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about when you said you left your corporate job, is part of your interest, were you like involved in the fashion industry or something like that? 
Oh no, uh, I ne my education and my uh, experience, my work experience, never was connected to uh, fashion, textiles, or fabrics or creativity at all. But the interesting point that. Uh, when I was working in the Middle East, I was writing procedures and processes for big international company. And this helped me in a way, uh, well, helped actually a lot, to start writing my own tutorials and online courses oh. when I decided to change my path. So I just uh, used my experience and I was writing tutorials and courses about something that I love, something that I'm passionate about. So it was really easy and really helpful. Okay. Like, yeah. yeah. People can underestimate, like it's very hard when you have this idea to then communicate it clearly and um, in like whatever, a succinct organized way. So that's yeah. interesting. That, that's, that's a, that's a neat way that uh, that skill can be transferred. Yeah, that's true. So I cannot say that my work experience was just waste of time. It was not, but yeah. But not that fulfilling <laughs> and not that stimulating. Yeah, yeah, that's that happens a lot with us when we work and uh, we think that that's it. But yeah, later on, I realized it was not it. <laughs> yeah. What, did, what, I guess, was there kind of like a moment did you not have like a mental breakdown, nothing like that extreme, but did you just sit at a cubicle somewhere and you were like, you know what, this just sucks, man. I'm going to do something different. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I had a mental sort of breakdown. It happened oh with me when we moved to the UK and uh, there was a point in time when I realized, okay, kids are growing and what I'm going to do next. And I, I tried to look for a job and there was nothing really that uh, excited me uh, with my uh, that was also suitable for my work experience for my right. education and i thought okay uh, so should i go to college again and learn something <clears throat> so i picked something that i liked it was environmental protection oh. and the second option was mental mental wellness and counseling Okay. So I checked these options and I checked college and employment uh, perspectives and I was not really comfortable with any of them and I didn't know what to do and it was really, really difficult time for me. Uh, and then this is when I decided I'm just going to start sewing, teach people sewing and then uh, it was in summer and then in September, I ran my first sewing class. It was amazing. It was so difficult for me to prepare for this class, as if I was doing it for, for ages, you know. <laughs> I knew what we're going to do. I knew what we're going to learn. I knew what beginners will need to learn, because, you know, people who never did any sewing before, I exactly knew what they're going to need. And I prepared a small project for them. They could start it at the class and they can finish it at home. You know, uh, it was amazing. I just loved it. So I just went for it. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. And it, yeah. it's funny because our conversation has basically been around environment and mental health and the impact that the sewing can have on both of those aspects. It's interesting that you, when you were thinking about going back to college, those were two of the areas you uh, gravitated towards. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I just found, uh, I was lucky to find something that uh, has both these aspects. So yeah, it's amazing. 
do you have like a little classroom space? Are you doing your classes out of your house or a garage or something? Uh, I rented a space, like small meeting room in our town hall. Okay. And this is where I was running my classes, uh, workshops. So I would usually go there with my sewing machines, with my kids, materials, everything. And people would go there and... I just had to stop it because of the situation. Now right. I still, <clears throat> not still, but I get, I, I'm getting back to this routine and I, most probably I will have one-to-one sessions either uh, online or in my house or in the person's house. So I will see because right. there are still a lot of restrictions for group classes and you know, it's a bit tricky, so I don't want to get into this difficulty myself and people who want to learn. Yeah, they, um, and not to get too like COVID political, but the, um, mm. one of the things over here that, um, everybody's waiting for is, um, the hotline, like, yeah, like yeah. the reporting hotline. If you see someone not, not following the COVID guidelines, make sure you report them. And that takes me very much. It's I read with my daughter, um, Animal Farm, and um, by George Orwell, and yeah. it's um, we got into some of those talks about you know the importance of information and manipulation and controlling of it, and that hotline is a real hot button issue with a lot of people over here. They're like, I can't believe yeah. that we're gonna set something up to tell on each other. Like, what are we doing, right? Um, but it's a fear too, because if you're trying to start something, you don't want the government in there to ruin it for you, or you get a fine, or God forbid, you get arrested, something like that. Like that would yeah, be terrible. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a bit complicated. So yeah. I decided not to get into this now. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. How many? I was curious. Um, when I think of sewing, I would think that I would need someone to actually guide my hand a couple times so I could feel it versus looking at a screen and trying to um, see if I'm doing it right. And I'm curious yeah. if I'm thinking about that right, or do you think that like you could teach through a Zoom class and people would be able to pick it up? Yeah, Zoom class is uh, quite easy. You don't need anyone to guide your hand because I had even 10-year-old kids come into my classes and I could see that you know they're watching me and my hand movement and they copy it pretty well so it's not really an issue and once they do a certain number of stitches or once they do let's say 10 centimeter stitching they get those movements really well and uh, it's all improvement with the time of course and practice so uh, it's not really something really, really difficult to do. Got you. So basically, I'm scared of something that 10-year-olds can do. That's what I took <laughs> from that. Okay. Well, if you like to call it like that, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good to realize because for me, I'm thinking like, dude, there's no hope. And then here's Alicia being like, nah, you know, it's actually 10-year-olds. All they got to do is listen. Just I go can for see it. it. Yeah, just go for it. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Dude, that's so funny. Golly, Dad, that's so funny. How'd you get word out? Like, did, do you use social media when you were trying to get people to get into these classes? Or do you put up flyers? Is there like a, a, a chat room somewhere? Uh, we, I do mostly social media and I talk to people and it's word of mouth. Uh, but mostly it's my website, social media and uh, 
I was in our local news even okay. a few weeks ago, yeah, with my upcycling and sustainability campaign. I uh, started a campaign, probably I will push for it again um, before Christmas, it will be good. It's called uh, 200 Days That Matter. It's about encouraging people to go for 200 days without buying new clothes, but mending and upcycling rather than, you know, buying, uh, mending and upcycling what they have. Uh So, and yeah, people like the title 200 Days That Matter. And it, it's really, it will help you to combat this habit, consumerism habit, actually. And you're going to try to do this during Christmas time? You're nuts. Before Christmas. Before, I will start probably in September again. And it will be good if people just uh, decide not to buy Christmas jumper, to wear it once and then take it to a charity shop. You know, that's how it happens, unfortunately. But but what about all the teachers who get, especially me, like the male teachers who get like those wonderfully cute, but horribly looking ties? What will happen to us? Oh, ties. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, no, I was, because when you said 200 days around Christmas, I'm thinking about the people who go out and buy clothes for other people. You know, for gifts. Oh, you mean uh, gifts for, from your kids? Exactly. Exactly. Or if, uh, yeah, or, you know, like whatever, you you become an adult and you don't really get toys anymore. So a lot of people will wind up getting you a nice sweater or something like that. Um, that's why I was thinking, like, I was in my head, I'm doing 200 days from Christmas. If you started in May, how many days into the year is that? And then would that take you to the point where you could still go out and then buy clothes for people for Christmas? Uh, no. If you start around June, I think, yeah, May, June, that will take you, uh, oh, no, you're right, May, around May. Uh, well, you have to be creative. You have to make a presence uh, right. by yourself. That's when uh, sewing skill comes in very handy because you can uh, save a lot of money you know uh, for my son's teachers last year i made them all uh, reusable fabric uh, christmas cards greeting cards oh man that's another cool idea give them a little bit of texture a little bit of pop yes fabric they were really really nice and this uh, card can travel from one person to another and uh, yeah, it's really, really good idea. Dude, and I it's like not that. something everybody everybody would do. People usually buy, yeah, all those uh, mugs and cards and yep, yep. Uh, all the same, basically. Yeah. And here I am with my reusable greeting cards. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> Made with thought and love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's a, but I, I like the idea of 200 days that matter because I'm also now thinking, and it's probably more so because of COVID. God, it's amazing. I look at my closet and I know it's summertime, but I, and let me back up. Let me back up a second. It's, I'm not, I'm not trying to brag, but I've basically, my waist has basically been the same for like 20 years. I, mm-hmm. I look in my closet and I'm I'm not one to throw away until it gets super stained like that. But I have a lot of pants or like dress pants that I've had since like my early 20s. I'm almost 40 mm. now, right? And those things, all they've done is sit on a hanger. They're probably, half of them are probably going to have like whatever um, 
indentations in them, maybe even mold oh. growing or something. Cause they haven't been touched since COVID. Right. Like I get in meetings and it's so sad. I'm wearing basketball shorts <laughs> and I'm just, oh, yeah. but COVID, yeah, no, COVID yeah. has really exposed how much clothing I have that I don't really enjoy wearing. Like I, I don't think I've put on a button up shirt since COVID. Oh my God. It's probably been five months since I've buttoned a shirt. And then yeah. you start thinking like, why do I have all these extra things? And I really do wonder if I had to go 200 days without buying clothing, if we were in a COVID-free world, would I make it? I don't know yes, if I would. I, I think I would be buying stuff to like try to look a certain way. Yeah, that's another thing. Uh, yeah, but you're going to make it. That's fine. Uh, you know, even if thinking about formal wear and informal wear, uh, I stopped wearing formal trousers and formal shirts because I'm no longer going to an office. And I had to uh, transform my pair of trousers and make it look like casual wear. So I just put denim patches on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the patches. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you mess with like the hems and stuff like that? Like if you needed to take a guy's, whatever, a pair of 32, 32, do you mm -hmm. ever try to like cut and add length or expand waists, waistlines? Am I asking that the right way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I you do, do that? it a lot. And Any? I recently fixed uh, two dresses for someone I know. And uh, for myself, I have uh, a pair of uh, trousers. It's really, really good quality. It's something branded that I bought in 2013. And... Uh, I gained a bit of weight because two kids, you know, it's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept this pair of trousers and I'm going to add a little bit of on both sides to make sure it fits and I can wear it because the fabric is of really, really good quality. And I like the color. It's a sort of army green. That's a great uh, color. Dark, dark olive green, something like that. So uh so i kept it yeah definitely it, it's pretty easy to do and uh you know i'm thinking that um my next tutorial that i'm gonna work on will be how to uh do alterations to your clothes in case you gained some weight or, or in case you lost some weight there you go lose some weight let's yeah. be positive as well <laughs> yeah that's fine. Yeah, you can still wear your clothes, but it's just a little bit of alterations, and uh, yeah, that's it. You will, you can save a few bucks for you. Man, so I didn't. Yeah, I thought fun. those. I don't know, man. I look at those seams, and I thought that you would need some sort of machine in order to alter it. You can do that by hand, really, huh? Yeah, yeah. There are a few stitches that uh, you can learn basic stitches, huh. and you can apply them to different situations with, with your garments. Man, I had no idea. And I, I should have asked this when you were talking about the writing procedures for your companies and having the um, figuring out what people need. So do you, do you break those down into like little videos that you put on YouTube or something like that? Uh, yes, I have a few videos on my YouTube channel and uh, my online course uh, includes five videos. And these videos include some tips, ideas, theory. And at the end of every video, I show a few stitches. 
And in total, I think it's around 10 stitches that I'm teaching in my course. And also uh, I included uh, in this course uh, color palette so people can learn their color palette, ah. their color season, uh, colors that suit them, uh, you know, and uh, how to adjust your clothing. So it's brighter, it's, uh, you know, it makes you feel better because clothing that we wear, it affects our mood, affects the way uh, we feel, and it also affects how people see us. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, all, all those different aspects are included in my course, uh, theory, and my 70-page uh, ebook. Oh, Lord. Also with the theory that I came up with. Yeah, that's my online course. And my tutorials, uh, there are a few short tutorials that I have to upcycle denim, to upcycle knitwear and stretchable fabrics like jersey. Then there is one tutorial for complete beginners. Uh, there are a few quick projects that anyone can do to make your clothes uh, joyful and to adore your clothes again. Very simple, uh, simple but surprisingly very bright and very striking projects. What's the um, YouTube channel? How would people find it? Oh, it's all mentioned on my website, uh, slowfashionbus.co.uk. All social media, it's YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all those links are on uh, on my website. Yeah. Were you pretty like technologically inclined um, or are you just discovering all these extra skills as you're going on with this passion of yours? It's all about learning and <laughs> experimenting. I have a lot of books at home. I learn a lot of things from different cultures. I like Japanese sashiko stitching, boro stitching, and uh, kanta stitching in India. Uh, they are amazing. Uh, then, uh, yeah, it's all about experimenting uh, how different fabrics go together and what happens when you do this. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's oh, basically... I was thinking when I said technical, technologically, I was actually thinking about the posting videos, creating your ebook, oh, having your YouTube oh, no, channel. Oh no! Yeah, it. I had to learn it because oh, there there was a story. I bought a domain, Slow Fashion Bus, in November two thousand nineteen, and I thought I yeah I wanted the website, and then. Uh, I was postponing it, and then when the lockdown happened, I thought, yeah, that's the time when I need it. Right. And then I checked with someone how much it will cost to make a website for me, and then this person told me the code. I thought, no, uh, yeah. no, I'll have to <laughs> deal with it myself. Right. I, I tried to do it first time. It didn't work. And then uh, after a couple of weeks, I tried to do it again, and it just worked miracle. I got everything and uh, everything was clear and I picked the colors. Well, it took me a while to pick uh, joyful, bright colors for the website because this is the way I wanted it to be. Of course. Uh, joyful, <laughs> yeah. So, and that's it. Yeah, it's just a matter of putting more content there now. And yeah, I'm really happy with it now. Yeah. And I'm really surprised and pleased with myself that I didn't was able to make a website for myself, not just a pair of jeans. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, cause I was wondering if like transferable, the problem solving skills, like we'd been talking about, um, I've never 
create a website, but I've heard of like Squarespace where basically you take a template and mm-hmm. you create it. But I also, mm-hmm. when I was in college, I think it was HTML where you would program your own website, but they looked so yeah. clunky. And then like Flash came along, but it was all pre-programmed things that you would insert. So I was yes. curious what route you went if you wanted to kind of create the website from scratch where you're doing the coding or are you picking like, are you paying basically for like a template and then you're just picking the colors and designing it? I got a theme uh, for WordPress. Okay. Uh, and uh, then I just picked uh, the way how my elements of my website would be located on the website. Right. Uh, what sequence and links there and colors. So okay. yeah, basically that's it. Gotcha. It wasn't so difficult really. Uh, the blog page, it's all already structured that comes with a theme. So I don't need to do anything. I just create a post and the theme uh, programming uh, decides what happens next and how it's located on the website. So it's really good. Yeah. I, I think, and again, I haven't created a website in a while like forever actually, but it, it would, um, I think sometimes people, especially, and I'm not calling you old, I'll call myself old, almost being 40. It, I feel there's a lot of people who have skills that may not be technologically inclined that are maybe 45 to 50 area. And they get very worried about how would I put this out onto the internet? And with the templates that are involved, it's like a lot of just dragging and clicking and it's not so like labor specific intensive as some older people can think. And something I think about with older people is losing their knowledge. So knowledge usually culturally gets passed down. Almost like what you're saying with this sewing, you have a book and it gets passed down. Well, younger people aren't getting knowledge from books. They're getting knowledge from the internet. They're probably getting too much knowledge from social media, but they're getting knowledge from the internet. And I I've always thought of, are we going to lose a huge part of our cultural knowledge because it's not on the internet? It was in books and it's going to be harder to find. Yes, I agree here with you. Unfortunately, there are a lot of skills, uh, like very old uh, crafts, for example, that are not being passed from one generation to another. Uh, As an example, oh, Again, as a result of uh, us exporting our uh, pre-loved clothing, Africa is not developing their textiles, and African textiles are absolutely gorgeous. Right. Bright colors, you know. So that's just one example. Yeah, handcraft is something that is not passed down to the next generation because uh, we are running the race. Uh, That's the expression, yeah, and... We don't find time to do fun things. We don't find time to look around and enjoy and look at bright things, joyful things, notice bright and joyful things around us because we are too concerned about uh, all those usual things, Uh, our work and what we're going to do tomorrow and what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear and there are bills to pay. So, yeah, this is a really sad situation, to be honest, to be in. Yeah, I, I, was, I was taking it a little more like I'm picturing a retired 60, 65-year-old. 
and you don't, mm-hmm. you don't get to see your grandkid because whatever, they live in a different state, they're too far away, different country, yeah. whatever. Yeah. If the 60, 65 year old, they most likely have a phone that can record a video, right? Mm-hmm. They most likely have a lot of generational knowledge that should be passed down of whatever skills. And how awesome would it be if they all had their own WordPress, their own website, their own videos that they could upload to YouTube, or even if they just met in a Zoom and digitally had classes where their grandchildren, they could interact and they could pass down this knowledge. You know, it would keep them active. It keeps their mind sharp. And I really wonder if the technology is a hindrance in their communication and it shouldn't be because I think we've gotten to the point with a lot of technology where it's very intuitive and easy to use. And I just, I don't know, it's just a weird little theory I have in my head, a sociological thing where you wonder, I like what you said about in um, African countries because I've heard that where so much of that knowledge gets passed down word of mouth, but if people leave villages or if people get out of their social circles, that knowledge doesn't get passed down. Whereas if it was a YouTube video, it's almost like in the cloud and you could reference it whenever, you know, you could Google it yeah. and you would come across it. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I've never looked into it, but that is something that I think about is how are we as a society? We started off where it would be all word of mouth. Then we figured out how to write as humans and we store our knowledge in books, but now it's like this third wave of we're getting away from the books and it's all into this the internet and how much knowledge is not getting there from people. It's more like corporate knowledge that's getting posted or really young kids that are posting stuff. And you're like, I kind of want to listen to older people. I trust older people sometimes to tell me how to do stuff. I like their experience. Yeah. We need to listen to our older generation more definitely. And uh, to be honest, I prefer books, paper books, printed books. uh, Oh yeah. It's something, something really, you know, solid. Right. And uh, it's much better than all these digital uh, things. Yeah, it it makes things easier uh, with the videos and uh, all those PDF tutorials that you can find and things that you can share in Facebook groups. It's all, yeah, makes things easier a bit, but uh, still, uh, there is more to it than just this and it's wisdom from our elder generation is just the wisdom that should be passed down to us yeah and i'm sure they all look at us now and they think oh my god (laughs) (laughs) they worry i I guess every generation from what i've heard is worried right that's how you know you're in the next generation when you hate the music that you hear on the radio or you hate the way people are dressing right when you when you don't get the clothes and you don't get the music that's when you're officially old (laughs) <laughs> and then when your children tell you about how their children and how they don't get the clothing and music for their children, then, you know, you're really old. That would be, oh the time <laughs> yeah. um, I was gonna, I'm glad you brought it up when I had originally asked about the, um, technology and you got into the technical stuff. I was going to ask that as well. So you're kind of like self-taught. You just find a cool style. You find a book, you go with a culture and you just teach yourself, huh? Yeah. Uh, my mom, I grew up in a house where we had a sewing machine and a knitting machine. So my mom was doing it and she taught me and my grandmother taught me a little bit as well. And later on, when it came to upcycling, 
it's all that I did myself. I read a lot about textile art, about uh, Japanese sashiko's teaching and all these things. And I am trying to combine it all and put it all into garment and make garment joyful and at the same time durable. Ah, so then, and that's something too, right? That I didn't think about because I know nothing about this and a lot of things. But so the <laughs> stitching and the durability, so different yeah. stitches, and that makes complete sense. The way you're putting two things together would absolutely matter to it lasting. Yeah, huh. yeah, definitely. And because, different, yeah. do, do different cultures like put an, more of an importance on durability over aesthetics? Uh, aesthetics can be durable as well. It's just the way or uh, how you stitch, how you secure your stitches, and uh, what fabrics you use together. That's that's it. It oh, will be right. durable anyway if you look after it. If you, uh, you know, don't wash it after each wear, or do uh, only spot cleaning, it's uh, also about these things. Gotcha. And that's something too then, huh? So different fabrics require different stitches. Why is that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You will use different threads for different fabrics, thicker and thinner. And for example, silk and denim, of course, they behave differently. Uh, wool will behave differently than denim and silk and cotton, as an example. And some fabrics are stretchable, so there should be different stitches for stretchable fabrics because the fabric stretches and the stitch should stretch with it as well uh, otherwise the stitch will break and that's it you'll have uh, loose threads and broken stitch in the hole wait so there's thread that stretches or the way you're sewing uh, thread allows the way it you to stitch stretch. yeah it's oh, just no, the wow. way uh huh the way you stitch yeah God. So zigzags much. yeah right the one yeah Huh. I had no idea. I had no idea. Dude, this yeah, that's is, a little trick. <laughs> right? Man, that's so interesting. I just, I, I did not know that, um, I don't know. I intentionally didn't click on your website because at first I thought it was more just like a cool way to do thrift shop, like saving money. I had no idea that it was like you're so environmentally focused and inspired yeah. man yeah it's all more than just a nice picture <laughs> <laughs> how did you come up with the name slow fashion bus um it, one part of it is the slow stitching meditation because when you do slow stitching you relax and it's good for your mental wellness and the second part of it is uh, as opposed to fast fashion because for me fast fashion is something that uh, quickly comes to your house and quickly goes. Ah. And slow fashion is the opposite of it. So that's in this way. <laughs> and bus is for business? Sorry? Is bus for business? Uh, yeah. Uh, oh. Well, um, you know, I was planning a sewing gig around the UK in April this year where I would show people uh, different stitches, talk about fast fashion and show them what they can do with their garments. So this is supposed to be my uh, sewing gig around the UK, but it never happened. 
and I imagine myself during this gig in a little camper van, oh. uh, you know, having my staff there and, you know, giving away sewing kits to people. So that's probably where bus comes from. I was okay. Cause business. Yeah. Yeah. No, that I, I originally thought that the slow fashion bus, I originally thought like you would be on a bus or you would somehow be yeah. traveling around and I don't know, spreading the word or selling the things that you made or something like that. So yes. dude, I love yes. that idea. That's so cool. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, cause I guess I'll, sometimes I get nosy and curious, like how sloppy and messy is your home with all these projects? Or are you kind of like, are, are you like um, a type A where you keep everything like super organized because you just have to? No, it's never super organized. No? <laughs> <laughs> I admit that. It's uh, complete opposite of uh, OCD. I have creative mess everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, different fabrics, different projects, uh, but in general, that's fine uh, because I have a few things now going on and uh, I have a few things lying there in the front room. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. I was wondering, do, do you, do you try to keep it into like one sewing room or project room or does it seem to like just kind of spread out and grow throughout the home? It uh, it's spread around the house at the moment. <laughs> nice. <laughs> a little bit here, a little bit there, and but most of the things I have in the uh, in the storage in the garage. <laughs> gotcha, man. Yeah. That's that's so funny. So, do you believe in the creative mess? Like, do you believe some people or most people who are creative also have a hard time being um, organized and orderly with um, their projects? It depends what you do. If you make uh, jewelry. Uh, for example, all those jewelry bits, they can be put in one box and stored under the table. So that's it. Right. <laughs> so jewelry business or card making business is something really good to have because the tiny, tiny pieces. For me, it's all uh, fabrics and they take space, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. And sewing machines, they're big. And uh, I have a table with my sewing machine, so it, it takes some space. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I, my, uh, it's something, it's funny because again, it, when I think of the fashion stuff, just because my daughter's going through it, I think of her and she constantly, like, I'm on her about cleaning the whatever that little craft room, and she's like, it's a create, it's my creative mess. You know, the yeah. internet tells me creative people, the messier your floor and desk are, the more creative you are. And I'm like, nah, I, I'm just, I'm sorry. Nah, like, I'm just going to call it sloppy and unorganized, <laughs> and, you know, but it's, it's interesting because that is true. Like depending on what you're working on, man, sometimes you just need to see stuff or you leave it out. Um, and you can't, you don't have like the jewelry is a great example. Cause you do, you could get like a tackle box or you could get, uh, a rectangle you can have little slots and just put stuff in there and it's very orderly but with fabrics and things like that you don't know how to organize there is no preset way of oh when i start working on these pants to make it this bag i'm gonna need this amount of space kind of a thing it's so mm -hmm. much more abstract yeah yeah it, it takes a lot of space yeah man that's really neat um is there and i wanted to ask you a little bit as a mom just because i'm curious about COVID in schools in the UK um, and just oh. like your thoughts on how things are going um, because I'm just culturally curious to how it's being handled over there. Uh, 
we didn't receive any communication from our school yet, but uh, uh, I don't know what's going to happen, to be honest, but uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm happy with all those restrictions that they're going to put on, on the kids. And uh, we'll see. Once we receive the email letter uh, with all those uh, changes that they plan, then we will see what what we're gonna do, but we have, uh, I think we have a few groups, even parents groups on Facebook that uh, they, they share their communications from their schools and they uh, prepare letter templates for schools, how to make sure that kids are not really too threatened and scared of all the things that go on and kids are not made feel uncomfortable the most important thing and uh, intimidated because of all restrictions oh, it really yeah. affects them you know so at least there are some actions taking and people are helping each other and uh, so it's good so hopefully we will be okay yeah our schools so our schools normally start after labor day or like the last week of august but we've in delaware have pushed most of the schools have pushed back i think to like mid september did, oh really? Yeah. Did they push back your school start dates, or no, are they? We have uh, Thursday. Uh, Thursday, I think it's third uh, of September. That's usually how it is. Okay. Oh man. First September. Yeah. And they still haven't come out with a like a letter to the parents about hey, this is what we're doing in the schools, like an official. Probably next week. Probably next week. Gotcha, man. And what are some of the um? things you're hearing as far as how the school will look different? Uh, one school in the UK uh, started, uh, well, they, they ask parents uh, to make sure that kids are wearing masks, right? which I think is wrong. Uh, so it's only one primary school in the UK and there are a lot of criticism about it at the moment. So we'll see what's going to happen and how long they're going to last like this. How old are the kids that they're asking to wear the masks? Primary school, I think younger than 10. Okay. Yeah. Six to 10. Five. Yeah, five to 10. Got you. So we would call that yeah. kindergarten to what's 10, like third grade, I think? Mm -hmm. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, fourth fourth or fifth. Actually, yeah, fourth, fourth, fourth yeah. grade. Yeah, that's and did they talk about the um like numbers of kids? Are they doing like giving you the option to just learn at home or are they saying, Hey, all the kids will come and we're just gonna wear masks? Oh, this particular school, I'm not sure what's the details, if they have any uh groups that they put kids into. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but that's the only one. Uh, very noticeable aspect that I noticed uh, oh, that really? was mentioned. It's about uh, masks. So that's well, it, huh? About, yeah. Oh my God. So here, and just for context, and the reason I'm curious, um, the second guest when I started my podcast, I've actually had, I want to say about eight people from the UK on the pod. And my mm -hmm. second guest was safe. And he his, his name... <laughs> His name is S-A-Y-F. And I'm like, mm -hmm. so safe, right? And I'm like saying it all these ways is like, nah, brother, it's safe. <laughs> and I'm oh, like, right. okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was another like weird name thing. But 
it was towards the beginning of COVID. And he was telling me, I was shocked at this. Like in London, he was like, dude, we get to go out for an hour and you can get a ticket if you're seen out like multiple times. Like it's very restrictive. And that's why I'm so surprised that it's almost, it seems shifted from what I had heard that masks are the only, um, like, like, what would it be? Uh, um, alteration to make a funny little dad joke to go with our theme uh, <laughs> to um, children's be, behavior. You know, there will be some changes also in the way kids uh, go and have their lunch. Okay. Uh, the, the groups probably, the classes will be divided into smaller groups as well. Okay. In, okay. Uh, yeah. But still, I mean, all kids, they mingle, they play together, they go to playgrounds right. and... Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure how this is going to work, but it just doesn't seem all right to me, to be honest. Um, I'm not supporting all this because I can see there is a different situation in Sweden and uh, they saved the economy. That's the most important thing. And how many people are we going to have uh, now uh, dying because of uh, delayed medical treatment, because everything was shut down and uh, suicides and, you know, it, it's really, really sad. Yeah. That's um actually, I forgot about that. That Sweden just went like straight herd mentality, right? They social distance yeah. and they, they never did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually looking that up. Sweden death rate COVID. I remember it came on the news a couple times as far as, I don't know if I'll be able to do it um, and think out loud. So when you just and, like, if yeah, you... they, were, they were really good with this, they saved the economy. That's the most important thing. And now how we're going to sort out our problem. I don't know, because it was mentioned in the news that we are in the recession now. Yeah. Um, and also I came across one article. It was a case study about Peru and they had one of the strictest lockdowns in the world and they have the highest uh, mortality rate per million in the world as well so uh, oh, wow. that's basically the result of lockdown they kind of they say that they wanted to protect people but they didn't yeah oh, man it's and you wonder how much <clears throat> of that is medical care mm -hmm. you yeah. know um, yeah. and just access to roads. So Sweden, that's amazing. So America has 5.64 million cases, but we're freaking test crazy. Talk about the terrible toll on the environment where yeah. all this PPE, all this plastic, like in restaurants over here, they had to take yeah. away salt and pepper shakers. So if you want salt and pepper, they have plastic ramekins with lids that they bring to your table, which has way more salt than you would normally need way more pepper than you would normally need and is yeah. you have to throw away or everyone mm -hmm. getting to go in styrofoam containers or drinks with yeah. straws. You know, there was a huge push, get rid of straws. And yeah. I just keep thinking of all the gloves that people wear now, the servers, yeah. and you just toss them. It, it's so trash heavy. It's a, it, it's kind of screwed up, man. Cause we were making, I thought some good strides. Yeah. And I agree. And also some people are just throwing away masks. Yeah when they wear it and i uh, see a few masks just on the streets lying on the ground this is really so sad 3.1 okay so and i guess i should do the world as well 
Um, tell me something else that is sad while I am Googling. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Seven, Let's talk about joy. No more sad things. <laughs> no doubt. All right. So, oh, wow, this is interesting. Okay. So basically, Sweden has doubled the death rate of the world and the U.S., according to Google COVID numbers. So Sweden has 5,800 5, deaths out of 86,000 cases. Worldwide, 799,000 deaths out of 23 million cases. U.S., 175,000 deaths out of 5.64 million cases. So what that means is the world and the U.S. are basically at 3.1% of people dying from COVID. Sweden was 6.7. Um, which it's so interesting and it, um, I don't like try to belittle or besmirch a death because everyone says, you know, a death, one death is too many. Although you don't know, death is not a preventable thing at the same time. Yeah. And it, it, everyone dies, right? Exactly. So it's at in- some point we're all going to go. Yeah. And I'm not sure why people are so scared of it. I mean, uh, cause life is precious. <laughs> no one wants to die. And like, so that's been one of the weird things. I shouldn't say weird. That's been one of the arguments over here that you really can't argue against is, so you're okay if your grandfather dies or your grandmother dies. And like, no one's going to say yes. Right. So that's kind of the end all where they say, well, we need these restrictions because we don't want our elderly to die. Would you want your grandparents to die? And it's like, no. And when but you, it's not something we can control. Yeah, and that that's part of the fake I mean, hubris, right? Yeah, no matter how how do you want, uh, you don't want this to happen. You are not the one to decide. Yeah, and you we know, are not the ones to decide. Yeah. Th- no, that's I mean that's true, and it's yeah. the weird thing about numbers is you can say Sweden has double the death rate of those who have locked down, and you're like, oh my god, double. But then if you say ninety. What would it be? Ninety-three point three percent of the Swedish po- Swedish population did not die from COVID, and you're like, "Huh, ninety-three percent." So I have a ninety-three percent chance of not dying. And you're like, "That sounds pretty high." I wonder what percent chance yeah. I have of getting cancer. You know, like what exactly. what was the yeah. total percent? And that that's where like there was at one point where more people were dying of car accidents, like total yeah, deaths exactly. in America of car accidents versus COVID, and you're like. I don't think twice about driving in my car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and you don't lock yourself in the house because yeah. of that. Yeah, and I have not gotten into the um, mortality rates as far as suicide, although I have seen studies. I don't read any of them because I just go on Twitter to look at headlines so I can kind of appear intelligent, where that's <laughs> like a real concern of the mental health aspects. And yeah. going back to school, I've seen it with my daughter and we're like, whatever, man. I don't think she's gone to like a, um, a huge, like she hasn't been in like a play group, like a bouncy house or a trampoline park, but like she's played field hockey with outside with 20 or 30 kids. And Mm -hmm. and like, you need that. You need your friendships. You need to develop. You need to be around other kids and you need to be challenged. You need to have your personality. You need to feel reassured socially. You need to be accepted. And we're like, I'm just like, gotta see what happens. I think we're at that point too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We are a part of a community. We cannot exist uh, separately uh, from everyone else, isolated. Yeah, and it's and the economy is a great point too because when you do get into that money trouble and the stress, not only is it a mental toll, but it can also be you know like 
money um, issues are the number one reason for um, divorce. So yeah. you could look at families even being broken up with the extra strain of someone loses a job. Now you're more irritable. Now you're on lockdown. You can't get away from each other. You know, it'll be interesting and it's sad to say interesting, but interesting to see the social ramifications if societies do continue to restrict freedoms that people are very much used to. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully this will change and uh, yeah, hopefully. Let's see. Yeah. Okay. It's really sad to see people, you know, all those uh, distance things. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. There was an article in the website, a website called World Economic Forum, and the web the, the article is called "The Biggest uh, Lockdown Was the Biggest Psychological Experiment." Oh, really? Yes, the, the title of the article is so you can find it. So, yeah, it is shocking and it's wrong. And I don't really understand why we accepted it because the media, they played on people's fear. Yeah, and that was something too that it um, it really messed with me is, and it I, I had seen it with Trump where like they're using Trump to get ratings clearly because these media companies are companies and they want to make money. It's advertising dollars. Yeah. 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 But COVID, I don't know if it's like this over there, but when we get hurricanes, the weather <laughs> channel goes nuts. Like the weather channel is all in on a hurricane. They'll send like five meteorologists out there. They're, they're in the pathway. Things are blowing and everyone is indoors watching the weather channel for like two days. Because you oh just God. have to see what's happening, right? Oh, yeah. COVID, everyone's been on CNN or Fox or wherever for like three, four, five months, man. Their ratings have ballooned and it's nothing but advertising dollars for them. So why, oh, wouldn't, yeah. why wouldn't they want that to keep going if they're a for-profit company? Yeah, exactly. So, so I you, stopped watching TV. If I want to read something, I just go and read scientific articles and statistics about uh, uh, death rates and cases rates and yeah. stuff like that. And I see that uh, all those measures that they introduce now, they don't make sense because of the, everything has gone down now, no death, uh, not more than 10 probably we have here. Uh, so yeah, but why we have masks and lockdowns, I don't know. Yeah, I could, I don't know, man, I could get a compromise of if we can just wear masks, can we open everything up? Because for us, a lot of the mortality, uh, people with pre-existing conditions and obesity, right? Who are, who are just kind of normally sickly to begin with. But I don't, I don't know. I, I, I Again, you don't want to appear insensitive to people, but you do have to understand the perspective of what is occurring. And I don't think enough people look at, and I'm kind of guilty of it. I'll look at the Google stats, but I'm not reading a ton of articles. We're being told, this is, this is what really gets me. We're being told that masks work, right? But we can't yeah. be told, we haven't figured out yet if you can catch it twice. And I'm like, yeah. well, how have we not figured this out yet? Like we mm -hmm. were five, six months in, we got 5 million confirmed cases. I guarantee you like, one person, a couple people will volunteer. 
Like go, go ahead and get someone who is positive for COVID. Go ahead and sneeze in my face and let me see if I can catch it again. And I'm going <laughs> yeah. to take it for the world, you know, and yeah. I'm just yeah. going to be that guinea pig to see if it happens. How have we not definitively proven you can catch it again or not? Shouldn't the yeah. antibodies or something tell us, you know, and like when you start thinking of all the restrictions they're putting on and the science behind it, but then you're like, well, where's the answers to a simple question like that? How is that yeah. science? Or we're not exactly sure if it can be spread through children, through mm-hmm. age group. Like why is 10 the magic number? What happens in the body? How come, how come we can't definitively say that yet? And it's odd. That is where I start getting into the conspiracy of some someone's doing something to profit from this or try to control us from this. Well, definitely, yeah, definitely, yeah. a lot. Uh, there was a thesis wrote, written by uh, one professor in 1999, I think. I found it, uh, I saw it on Twitter on someone's account. And the thesis about, dissertation is about uh, what happens, uh, like psychological changes in people when they wear uh, face masks and it's really interesting yeah it was done in 1999 and it's really relevant now do you you remember why like what what motivated him to study that in 99 i don't know really that's interesting yeah you know people study different things and uh, one day this uh, becomes a relevant thing (laughs) right yeah, so I'll probably spend some time and uh, go through it properly. There are different conclusions at the end, uh, so yeah. Yeah, I was actually just trying to Google it. What is the psychological effect of wearing a mask? Crothers, nineteen ninety nine. It looks like Mick Cooper. It was an empirical oh, study. No, yeah, I'm just I was just reading it off of google it's a uk file because i do remember so in 99 i was basically graduating high school and you don't know much about the world in 99 i don't think anyway maybe someone else does yeah but (laughs) i do remember and it might not have been sars but i do know that like when we would get a lot of um asian immigrants would come over um for like summer work it would be college kids Mm -hmm. and they'd be holding an umbrella without rain to avoid the sun and they'd be wearing masks and then you remember mm-hmm. like Michael Jackson with, what was it like tuberculosis or something mm. where, you know, like it was very prevalent in that culture to wear a mask. And I, so I think it's been around there for a while, which I'm wondering if that may have gone into this study. A re- yeah. A, re- a review of the literature shows that the wearing of a mask has been hypothesized to bring about four main psychological effects. Shit, I'm not going to be able to say a lot of these words. Isn't that sad? Disinhibition, transformation, facilitation of the expression of aspects of the wearer's self, and various psychosomatic changes. Mm-hmm. Huh. So I don't know what... I don't know. Disinhibition transform. I wonder what is the transformation if it's positive or negative. I'll have to keep reading. Yeah. So if anybody actually is interested, it's a 298 page PDF uh, Mm -hmm. from Mick Cooper written in 99. So empirical theoretical investigator, I guess basically he read a bunch of articles and then made up his own thesis or like came to a conclusion of it. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting because it, it it 
will be interesting to see when people get surveys surveyed how they feel because I'm sure schools are going to be giving kids all sorts of mental health surveys dealing with this and then that's where the data is going to come from yeah let's see what's going to happen at schools yeah oh, see we were all bright and cheery and then I asked about COVID and it got all dark <laughs> Alicia I'm sorry um, Alicia let's do this and I'm gonna um, I'll ask we're getting ready to wrap up but we're, I, you don't have to rush through this my first question is, do you know how my podcasts end? How your podcast ends? Yes. Do you know how? Uh, no. Excellent. <laughs> three people, only three people. I think you are my 82nd guest. Only three people know how it ends. So this is perfect. Don't feel bad about that at all. Oh, all right. All right. A little bit of... Are you going to recite... Are you going to recite... Uh... Uh, something in French or Spanish or maybe in Ukrainian? <laughs> Definitely not. Nothing Nothing that intellectual. If anything you should know about me is I am nowhere near that sort of intellectual being. Um, no, it's a getting to know you thing. And it's going to be a little segment about you. So I want you to get ready to tell like a personal narrative, something yeah. that you've been through. And what I want is, can I get your best first for last. We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. Best first. Uh-huh. Don't overthink uh, it. Was that? Sorry? <laughs> I said don't overthink it. It's very simple. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. What I can say is just uh, who I am now, what I am now is a uh, collection of all things that I've learned, all things that I've experienced, uh, all things that I've seen and places I travel to. Uh, yeah, and all my experiences, life experiences, good and bad, and all lessons I've learned. So, yeah. and all things that I want to learn as well. So, no, that's, that's it. Alicia. That's a, a mixture of everything. That's me. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're thinking about it the right way, but I want to hear about one of them. So the best first, what, when I ask you about one of those experiences that has made you, you, what's one of the experiences that pops into your mind that you want to the share? Best. Oh yeah. That, that you want to share with us. I want to get to know you a yes. little more and it'll be the last thing people um, listening get to know about the you. Best recent one yeah is um, when uh, I had a student uh, coming to my classes a 10 year old girl she was coming with her mom and during Christmas session after the session they came up to me together uh, and her mom told me that her daughter wants a sewing machine for Christmas and I got so emotional and you know for me it's really really for me it's motivation as well to know that I inspire people and uh, to know that I inspired this 10 year old girl uh, to ask uh, for a sewing machine for Christmas and that she wanted to learn more she wanted to do more so that's probably was for me uh, to know that what I'm doing was worth doing it <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's yeah. beautiful, man. Because I think most people who teach hope they they hope for those kind of moments, right? Where yeah. you've yeah. you've created, you've sparked a passion, and it yeah. sometimes uh, I would think a lot of times you don't actually get to know that you've done that. So that's yeah. I mean, 
that's true that that does i think that does make it especially if you're passionate about this um you want to you want to pass on that passion yeah yeah that's true inspiration and ideas and uh, inspire them and make them confident and be sure that they can do it do you remember do you remember what the um 10 year old girl was sewing that she got so into that made her want to get a sewing machine uh we were working on a christmas card it was a Christmas session, but she was coming regularly to my classes. Uh, she was learning all uh, stitches and she was working on all projects that I was giving her. And then uh, she came also to a Christmas session. And that's when she came to me with her mom and they asked about sewing oh. machine. <laughs> that was really cool. And so then this was pre-COVID like last year? Yes, yes, yes. Gotcha. Man, how many classes had she been coming to? Uh, I don't know. She attended probably maybe five. Oh, wow. Around five classes, five, six classes. Gotcha. Dude, that's awesome. And is it pretty common for younger kids to come to these classes or is it more like an older clientele? Uh, it's usually for adults, but I give 50% discount to children who are coming with their parents to learn sewing. Oh. And I had uh, one boy coming and two girls to my classes. Dude, that's a great idea because um, it can't be so much of an additional cost to have like another little kid there. But at the yeah. same time, the fact that they get to bond, you know, the, yeah. the mother, daughter, or even the father, son, whoever wants to come with their child. That's, like it's that's it, true. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a nice parent and child activity project yeah. to work together on. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And that's so fulfilling, Alicia. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Alicia, thank you so much for giving so much of your time. Thank you so much <laughs> for um, spreading you. word. Why don't we um, do a little end right now? Say the website again or say how people can find you on social media. Uh, all my social media links are mentioned on the first page of my website and it's easy to find uh, www.slowfashionboss.co.uk. So all information is there about everything I do, services I provide, uh, items that I create, my little masterpieces and uh, <laughs> tutorials, classes, and all my social media links are there as well. Perfect. And man, I um, it, it's something that I kind of, who knows? I, I get inspired and then I get distracted because I'm a typical American, I guess. But <laughs> the the whole reselling of donated clothes, what was um do you remember the documentary or a couple documentaries if people wanted to I guess learn a little uh, more or see what you had seen? Yes, the most uh, famous one, I think it's called The True Cost. It's about how clothing made and the waste that uh, comes uh, from it as a result. So the true cost is something that uh, it's really good to watch. Gotcha. Yeah, man, that environmental impact too is something that I'll be thinking about. Because you, I know um, there were like fire retardant sheets and stuff like that, but you don't yeah. really think about that, at least I don't, with clothes so much. And mm -hmm. God forbid, right? Like just God forbid. It's, yeah, it, it was a lot. It was very eye-opening. It was very interesting. And Alicia, thank you for letting everybody get to know you. Thank you for giving so much of your time. And um, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. <laughs> Me too. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.
object I like most. Thanks to Alicia for coming on the pod and for making me think of something that I honestly had never thought of or considered before. You can get to know more about her by going to her website, slowfashionbus.co.uk. Thanks to Andre Psyche, the OG of sponsors on the Getting to Know You Pod, for sponsoring the Getting to Know You Pod. Go to andrepsyche.com for some trippy merchandise that's going to be worth checking out. If you have not already, please friend and follow the Getting to Know You Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The word of the pod, stitches. Stitches is the word of the pod. Post that word on any of our social media or tag the Getting to Know You Pod when you use it on yours to get a shout out on our very next podcast. Before you go, don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You Pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. You can also go to our Patreon to support the Getting to Know You Pod for as little as $2 a month if you've enjoyed getting to know any of the guests that we have had on. And finally, do not forget this as well. (laughs) If you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. All you have to do is message us if you're interested. Arrivederci.